But now I invite Neil back forward to lead us in a message from the Word of God and the Lord's Supper. starting to only want to preach in churches that have handrails to go up the steps, <laughs> or I could bring my cane in with me, which I did not do. Now, I have full-fledged hay fever. It's, uh, it's wild, it's crazy. I'm going to try not to let my nose drip while I'm up here, but uh, you may see me wiping my nose and so forth. I have already worked out with the elders that they will hand me elements. I will not touch elements. So don't worry about if my fingers are, you know, a little messed up. It's good to be with you again. <clears throat> when I was a child, my uh, childhood church had um, the um, biggest service of the year was Maundy Thursday. Do you believe that? The biggest service of the year. The, the young people of the church couldn't even sit in the sanctuary. We had to sit in a couple offices in the church and listen on intercom. Now the pastor was pretty smart. That was the night he brought in the communicants class, which in those days were large. So you had grandparents, you had aunts and uncles, and we packed that church wall to wall and beyond. Uh, but I'm distressed that so many churches have given up Maundy Thursday services. It's a very important event in the life of uh, Christ's Passion Week and in uh, the matter of our salvation. So I commend you. Uh, for continuing on. And uh, I, you know, I know sometimes people get worried, well, the church isn't packed. You're used to a packed church on Monday, Thursday. But I've learned to count souls. So God gave you one. You have two on your shoes, two on your socks, <laughs> two on your feet. So I'm going to multiply everything by seven. And, uh, you know, we got a pretty good crowd here tonight. It's, it's the way it goes. <clears throat> I'm sorry for clearing my throat. I apologize for that. And if I have to use the tissue, I apologize for that. If you've got your Bibles, uh, turn them to Psalm 88. <coughs> I will be reading from the New King James. <coughs> o Lord, God of my salvation... I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength, adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more and who are cut off from your hand. You have laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. You have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination to them, and I am shut up, and I cannot get out. My eye wastes away because of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon you, I have stretched out my hands in you. I stretched out my hands to you. Will you work wonders for the dead? 
Shall you, the dead arise and praise you? Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave or your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They came around me all day long like water. They engulfed me altogether. Loved one and friend you have put far from me and my acquaintances into the darkness. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Pray with me. <clears throat> In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus' suffering for you began with his conception and it got more intense at his nativity. He came to earth as an infant, subjecting himself to the sinful world as a man with all man's limitations. He suffered every day as he confronted the world, which rejected the message of hope and salvation he brought. That stream of suffering gets lost compared to the week of Christ's passion, and especially when recalling the events of Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. Every word and action from the institution of the Lord's Supper through the heart-wrenching prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then the multitude, though mostly illegal trials, scourging, assaults, humiliation, and finally crucifixion take on such a dramatic, constant, and pointed portrayal of Christ's suffering, they put all the rest of his suffering in the background. The intensity which these hours bring before you paint a frightening picture of the punishment your sins deserve. They cast you into a pit of sorrow when you reflect on Christ's righteousness and your depravity. The physical sufferings of Christ are vivid and likely the easiest for you to focus on, though they are hardly the most serious suffering that Jesus endured. The responsive reading in that response reading, Matthew's account of the so-called trials of Jesus before uh, the high priest, we saw that beginning. Of course, the plot to kill Jesus had already determined the outcome of the trials before the religious leaders. The jury was rigged. The council that tried Jesus had already paid Judas to betray him. Clearly, they had conspired with enough members to assure Christ's guilty verdict. The timing and the illegality of these proceedings was premeditated by the perpetrators. 
these elements of law-breaking were also painful to Christ, who came to fulfill the law. There is a particular psalm that addresses the inner reflections and contemplations of Christ during these trials. It is identified by many as the saddest psalm. Unlike other psalms of lamentation, it doesn't end with a glimmer of hope. It ends in a pit of despair. It does, however, expose the weight and penalty of sin, especially in its non-physical aspects. Some see this psalm, some see in this psalm what Jesus suffered on the cross and in the grave. It speaks of suffering, which Jesus certainly did on the cross, but his suffering ended on the cross. His sacrificial work completed on the cross, the suffering didn't continue to the grave. So Psalm 88 doesn't talk about that. This psalm tells a different element of Christ's suffering. Jesus' intense suffering started before the crucifixion. It began at the triumphal entry, which ended with the crowd asking, Who is this? Not, Who is the King of glory? Which Psalm 24 taught them to say. It continued to intensify as his death approached. The severity was at its peak from the time he identified Judas as the betrayer through his death on the cross. It was full bore by the time Jesus was taken from Gethsemane to the chief priest to be tried. And the verses of Psalm 88 must tell of this suffering. The two opening verses are considered to be the most positive in this psalm. But listen carefully to them, and you will hear a plea for help, but not any hope. O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. These are the words of a desperate person. These are the words of someone facing an incredible life trial. This is the point of total resignation to the truth of the overwhelming reality being faced. This is the nature of the plea that the psalmist cries out. By the way, the meaning of crying out may have come from the root that means sound of thunder So it isn't a whimper. It is a bellow. The psalmist wants to be heard. He doesn't want his plea to be overlooked or not loud enough. It is anguish driven and it expresses that anguish in the way that it is spoken. It isn't the first anguish he's faced. He has cried out day and night. This must have been Jesus' state of mind when he prayed on the Mount of Olives after instituting the Lord's Supper. Listen to the account from Luke 22, verses 42 to 44. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven 
strengthening him. And what did he do with that strength? And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This psalm expresses the nature of his agony. Jesus' agony was for you. The psalmist's words and this episode on the Mount of Olives should be your experience, not Christ's. Jesus felt the agony more acutely than you would since he didn't deserve to face this. He faced it with greater understanding and detail than you can understand. And for all the sin penalty he carried with him during these hours was in stark contrast to his righteousness. Perhaps you've been uneasy in uneasy situations where you perspired, but it is unlikely your sweat, as it were, were drops of blood. This is the outward manifestation of his inward plea for deliverance. Yet he did not simply ask for himself, for he was resigned to not do as he desired, but what his father willed. Not for his benefit, but for yours. Now the psalmist turns to an accounting of his troubles. It is breathtaking how it parallels Christ's sufferings that night. Here is a summary of what the psalmist faced. His soul is full of trouble, not just one or two things. He has an excess of trouble. He's like a dead man walking. He is already accounted as dead. His strength has turned to exhaustion so that he is like a man in a grave. He is disregarded as though he is already dead. The psalmist speaks of being in a pit twice and says it is dark. The words of Psalm 40, verse 2, come to mind as the heart of his plea. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. That's the answer the psalmist pleads for here. He tells of becoming an abomination to his acquaintances. His eyes waste away, fail him in this pit of darkness. He implores God to tell him how these things will reveal God's nature. He pleads with God to answer his prayer. He feels cast off from God and he doesn't understand why. He tells of being prepared to die from his youth. He speaks of terrors and God's wrath. He is engulfed by them like a man drowning. His friends, acquaintances, and loved ones are far from him in his need. That's about as dismal a scene as you can imagine. You may be able to sense these horrors as Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, descending the Mount of Olives. 
betrayed by Judas and taken to two mock trials, one by Annas and the other by Caiaphas. The accounts of Jesus' trials don't speak of a pit. Yet it is painfully obvious Psalm 88 is speaking of Jesus' intense suffering and it is clearly identified as being a pit. The gospel writers didn't experience all Jesus did and so could not speak authoritatively of those things. God in his word can and does speak with authority of things that you and I could not understand or explain without his telling us. And God does tell us about the pit. You see, in Isaiah 53, 8, he tells us he was taken from prison. That could be a dungeon. And from judgment. And that's what happened that night. Psalm 88 speaks of that prison. Now there is a feature at the site of Caiaphas' house, a palace really, that is not directly mentioned in the account of Christ's trials. Yet with some reflection you can understand the practicality of this feature and when you examine its design, Psalm 88 takes on a much clearer perspective. Jesus was a prisoner. Prisoners are not accorded first claim to anyone's time. In this case, witnesses had to be lined up and some effort made to have them give false testimony that would allow the religious leaders to give a death sentence to present to the Roman authority Pontius Pilate. That takes time. Getting the members of the council together would take time, and especially ensuring that those who agreed to the plot to kill Jesus were summoned. Jesus was also passed around from trial to trial. He even made it to Herod. There would be intervals through the night when he would need either to be guarded or imprisoned. At the site of Caiaphas's residence, there are holding cells of a sort. Karen and I have been in them. They were particularly cruel in their design and were not only physically disconcerting, but especially mentally challenging. They were pits. Pits. Prisoners would be bound around their chest and then lowered into these pits through a small opening at the top, which would then be covered. Inside the pit, it would be total darkness. Prisoners would be lowered to a point where they were in a state of limbo. Their feet were kept off the floor. They could not tell how big the pit was, how deep or how wide. They were suspended in oblivion. They were alone and had no ability to do anything about whatever or wherever they were. Imagine the solitude. Imagine the loneliness. Imagine the loss of reality. Imagine the desertion of friends. Imagine becoming an abomination to those closest to you so that they denied knowing you. Imagine having only your thoughts of suffering lost in the darkness 
of this pit. Imagine not knowing what would or could happen next in that pit. Imagine feeling abandoned and forgotten, not knowing how long or if ever you would be pulled out of the pit. Imagine having only the thoughts of the wrath of God weighted down on you for the sins of those you were being punished and would die for. These are the things the psalmist describes Jesus would experience. In such a state and in such a state of mind as Psalm 88 describes, you can only begin to imagine what tricks this would play with a mind and how it would only add to the despair of the one hanging there. Now with this picture in mind, listen to the words of the psalmist again and imagine what Jesus was dealing with as he suffered for you though he was innocent. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from your hand. You have laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. You have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up and I cannot get out. My eye wastes away because of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon you. I have stretched out my hands to you. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Shall your lovingness, loving kindness be declared in the grave? Or will your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They came around me all day like water. They engulfed me all together. Loved one and friend you have put far from me and my acquaintances into darkness. You can sense the terror, the fear, 
the hopelessness. You can feel the loneliness, the isolation, the helplessness of being in a place with no discernible dimensions, no clue what is around you, no idea what this pit will bring upon you, no sense of rescue, time, or escape. Understand, this is the punishment you deserve, not Jesus. Consider what Jesus must process. The betrayal, the illegality and lies that brought this upon him. And how unjust all this is. All the while he is bound in the ropes suspending him in the pit, he has you in mind. In reality, though, he is not held by ropes made and tied by men. He is held by the love for you which binds him to this misery. This is the start of his body broken and his blood shed. This is the start of his being forsaken by his father. This is the start of finishing what must be done to accomplish your salvation. This is the start of the full final payment for your sins. This is the start of the most amazing expression of grace ever. And it is for you and you and you. This psalm wasn't written for Jesus. It was written for you. It was written so you could understand the sufferings of Jesus. Take them to heart. Feel the lament. Feel the sin which caused this suffering. Let these words and what they speak of bring you closer to Jesus. Let them help you walk more faithfully to do what Jesus has called you to be and to do. Let them form the understanding of your need of repentance for the sins which continue. And let them reveal the incredible agony that Jesus suffered to cover those sins. As you do, know that unlike this moving psalm, there is a beautiful ending that God has made. This suffering, which seemed eternal to Jesus, for that's what your sins require, doesn't continue as this psalm ends unresolved. Rather, the very supper that Jesus instituted that night includes the words which tell you to do this until Jesus returns. He has conquered sin and Satan. He has conquered death, opening the door to eternal life through his meritorious work and the power of his resurrection. Let the lament of this psalm lead you to the joy of salvation. Let it contrast your just sentence against the marvelous grace of God given you through his only begotten Son, your Savior, Jesus.
Let it take you from the cries of helplessness to the praise of joy through the help and hope that Jesus offers. Let it bring you to this table with great thanksgiving and humility. Let it remind you as you pass through this life that your thoughts, words, and deeds are to be on the glory of God and not the satisfaction of self. Let it bring you to the cross of Jesus and to the empty tomb. For the answer to the questions that the psalmist asks about how and why the grave and death can bring glory to God are found in these very things. Jesus suffered the pit of despair because of your pit of depravity. So you could know the heights of heaven, the glories of God's kingdom, and the unspeakable joy of God's presence through all. Lord Jesus, we come to you on this night and we're always filled with wonder when we understand more of the penalty of our sin that you bore for us. Psalm 88 tells us much, but we really in our own limited ability can barely scratch the surface of what these very things that were spoken tell us. Unbearable. Unthinkable. And so we thank you for giving us at least this taste, this glimpse from your word. And now you have taught us to take the words of Isaiah, which tells us something of Christ's suffering that the accounts themselves do not tell us, so that we can understand how these things, these words of yours in your scripture, come together and teach us one thing, that you are a great God, that we are great sinners, and that your son, Jesus Christ, has done all that is necessary for our salvation. We thank you and praise you for this in Jesus' name.